2 Samuel chapter 1. Now it came to pass, after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was, so it was when he came to David, that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan, his sons, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son. For the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien and a Malachite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head. For your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me, your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Let us pray. It is our prayer, Lord, that you will speak to us and that you will have influence in our lives for good. 
that the Lord Jesus Christ will be pleased with the work that he is doing in us as we respond to him, as we learn lessons from the word of God. And we pray that we may not be almost obedient, but that we will be wholeheartedly uh, obediently responsive to those good things we learn today. So hear us for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, when we're looking at uh, the story of David and Saul, we're going to skim through from chapter 16 of 1 Samuel right through to 2 Samuel chapter 1, looking at the big lessons of David in his relationship with Saul. And so we're beginning at the very beginning when David is exalted. It's the first lesson is from nobody to somebody. And what we learn in chapter 16 is that firstly, David is appointed by God to a role quite unexpectedly. He's taken from the sheepfold and he's appointed by God quite unexpectedly. Then he's approved, and it's because he's approved by God. God has looked at his heart and because of David's heart, he's brought to the fore. And that is what? is God is looking for. He looked upon David's heart and that was what was pleasing to him. And then he was anointed by God. He wasn't called to a task. He was left ill-equipped to fulfil. God gave him the grace and the help to fulfil that task which he was given. And what the rest of the chapter really does is summarise David. Why did God choose him? Well, firstly, he was a spiritual man, verses 16, 6 to 13 say. There was David. His heart was right with the Lord. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. And right from his earliest days, he loved the Lord. He knew about the coming Saviour. He knew that there was a need for a sacrifice uh, to, to die for him in order that he should be forgiven. So he was believing in the coming Christ. He also was aware he needed God's help because he'd fought against lions and bear. And God, he said, delivered them into my hands. So it already proved God's strengthening of him. He was spiritual and God enabled him. But he was also skillful. And we need to remind ourselves of this, that in the church, no matter whether we're at the back or whether we're at the front, we need to remember what the Lord has said about us in relation to others in our local church, that God gives to each according to his decision about what is needed in that local church. And therefore, is everyone an eye, is everyone a mouth, is everyone etc. No, God distributes his gifts so that the church can function and advance and edify itself in love. And David had his skills for his generation. And then he was useful. And we find that at the end of that chapter where Saul is needing someone to come and console him because of his own spiritual backsliding. And David steps into that arena and he's thrust upon him. Now let's pause because that's the end of the first of seven points that I want to make this morning. Because we need to pause there and realise that David is brought from nowhere, from being a nobody, to being somebody. Why? 
And it is on the basis of what is going on in his heart. It was not his skills that brought him to the fore. Because God chose David and when all of the sons of Jesse were brought before him, God said to the big one, no, to the next one, no. And they all went until it came to David. And young, small, inexperienced as he may have seemed to everybody, God looked on his heart and said, that's the man for me. And we need to remind ourselves that that is the basis of all our service for the Lord. And we may work with some difficult people. David had to work with Saul. My teams have to work with me. And uh, so we work with difficult people. But what are you in your heart? That's really what matters. Do you love Christ as David loved Christ? Do you love his word? Do you find yourself singing the great hymns of the faith as David wrote his psalms and his heart was full of melody about the Lord as a young person, as a teenager? And it's vital. And young people, for those of us who are right at the wrong end of life at the moment, we look at young people and we're always saying, if only we could start again and our hearts would be full of something different. If only we could... uh, Uh, begin again but we want to have a right heart in our later years but why not now think is my spiritual life and longings and loves is that the basis of everything that God would look at me and say that's the man that's the young woman that I want to bring into service for me well from a shepherd to a soldier and uh, uh, Roger didn't have Uh, he said a clear outline, seemed clear enough to me, but he said uh, he he wasn't going to have a a clear structure. But uh, when David moves forward, we find him in relation to Saul. Where do we find him? Saul is cowering in his tent, but David sees that there is a huge adversary. Just as you have a huge adversary, Satan is now older than you are. He was created at the beginning and he has, he's older than you are. He's got more experience. He is more wily than you are. He's also bigger than you are. If when, when the Apostle John was confronted with an angel, he fell down to worship it, that tells us something about the greatness and the glory of Satan. How massive and how... Uh, Large, if you like, how powerful he is, how awesome he must be, Satan. That we would cower before him as, as the soldiers would before, uh, uh, Dave, uh, before the uh, Goliath. But also Satan is stronger than we are. And we have to come to that point where we recognise this. No wonder Saul is in his tent. But David comes out and he's, he comes to terms with the fact there's a huge adversary. He comes to terms with the fact that there's a helpless army. And he hears the leaders of the army being defied. He sees the soldiers in that army so discouraged and dismayed. And he steps forward, young as he is, considerably inexperienced, as Roger has told us, and he becomes this heroic advocate. This is, no wonder he's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament, because this is what... Christ is like, but it's also what spiritually minded young men and women are like. When the old ones are quaking for fear 
and others, let the heroic young ones step forward. And we'll ask them these questions like this. Should he do that? Should we make, give a young one this responsibility? And the next thing we'll ask, could he do it? And lastly we say, would he do it? And David, to all of those, says yes. While Saul is in his tent. And we know the story. And we need to pause there and take a second application. The second application is surely this, that having been given help by God, David was anointed and it says the Spirit of God came upon him from that day forward. The Spirit of God was with him. If we have received God's help, then when we face these difficult situations where some of the old fogies amongst us are being very dour about it, that's not worked. We tried that and it didn't go forward. And you've got this genius of an idea and you know that it could work or at least you're willing to throw your life away having a go to make it work. The question is, are you going to step forward and say, I, as Goliath was defying the God of Israel, you say, I defy this world we're going to make it worse. Often, you know, I know Roger will find this, I do find it as well a lot. People are so negative about the days. Yes, it's more difficult. And though it is more difficult and there's more hostility when people are preaching the gospel, it is no harder to get into conversations about Christ today than it ever has been. Because the difficulty is not in their uh, willingness to talk. The difficulty is that we censor ourselves and we scare ourselves so that we are finding it harder because of something inside us, not because of something inside the world. Well, Saul had found it. He was older and he was hiding. But the young ones came forward. The young one came forward and out he stepped. And that's the second lesson. I want you to have this courage of David, this throw away your life on something courage, where you're willing to just go for the thing, the thing at hand, go for souls, go for the Christian life, and live it for the Lord, and don't think too much about the consequences, because that's anxiety. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. Just live it, just do it, and go for the Christian life. Well, the third lesson is a very important one when we come to 1 Samuel 18, because no sooner is David... Uh, uh, got going then he's, he finds himself the object of so many people's praise and the first thing he has to deal with is the fact that Jonathan the king's son is all over him and talking to him as a real pal and saying you have this and you have this and he has to learn to live with praise he has to learn to live with his friend's approval. Everybody's saying, that was great. What a great open air talk. Oh, that was great. Your testimony was terrific. Oh, that was great. Yet the way you told that children's talk and the way you said, Beniah. You know, oh, that just moved me. You know, oh, I can't even say Mayher Shalahashbaz, but you know, the way you, you didn't get tongue tied over it. Terrific. You know, and you have to learn to live with praise, David had to work through this. He had to learn to live with his employer's appreciation. When the, uh, the uh, victory parade came, the employer said, you've contributed so much to this, you've got to be included in it. And he puts him up on the horse. He was a shepherd just a little while earlier. 
He was a nobody just, and now he's exalted. He's been made a senior assistant leader and leader in two years. Employer's appreciation, it's there. And he's got to learn to live with that. How is he going to cope with the fact that people are saying he's good? How do you live with that? Well, you say, well, people don't say that to me. (laughs) Come on my team, I tell lies. (laughs) But the point is, he then has to deal with his admirers' applause because as they go through, everybody else is looking on and they say, Saul has slain his thousands. And Saul must have thought, oh, great. And David, his tens of thousands. Wow, exalted above the king and his efforts. You know, people find it hard to live with praise. Pride is a huge problem. And because of that praise, because stupid people are too quick to give flattery, David is knocked from that pinnacle and he not only has to learn to live with praise, he now has to learn to live with persecution. Because from verses 8 to the end of the chapter in 1 Samuel 18, Saul's mind, what more can he have then? Look at the way they're talking about him. Now don't worry, on beach missions, uh, when you're involved in beach missions, no leader is going to say, oh, everybody said he was good and I wasn't. And the next thing they're going to do is make him the leader. Most leaders would say, great! (laughs) I don't mind being the assistant leader next year to him. You know, but the point is, here he comes. He's got to learn to live with jealousy, with difficulty. And that shows itself by false accusations. There are many believers here who know that uh, because of things they've done, they find people accusing them and they think, Where did that come from? Where did that come from? False accusation about something they did. They said some sentence and something's read into it. Before they know where they are, everybody thinks that they've got an evil heart. That they're after promotion, that they're promoting themselves, that they're full of themselves, that they write their books and make sure their name is on the front and they want to be at the front, they want to be the speaker. All these types of things come false accusation. There's unprovoked attack. I'll move quickly through this. But the unprovoked attack where David is there and the spear is thrown and then Saul says, oh, I can't keep throwing spears at him, you know, it looks bad. Uh, So he says, right, I'll send him off into the wilderness to work there. I'll get rid of him. And uh, puts him out to pasture almost out of the way, doing a little nothing job somewhere. And then deliberate antagonism. Oh, you can marry so-and-so. And And then when the time comes, says, oh no, I've given her to somebody else. (laughs) How do you like that? This vicious, horrible thing. And David has to learn to deal with praise and then persecution. In our church in Milnrow, we work a lot with asylum seekers. One of the things I say to them is when they've come, because they come and they're often the object of huge persecution. Some of them having had their relatives murdered and them having escaped their lives. And they come. And one of the great problems we have is that they survive the persecution, but they do not survive the prosperity. 
and their children and they themselves become money absorbed and they turn. And Christians, we have got to learn. We have got to learn to cope with days when things are going well and people are praising us and we don't go up for a fall. And on the other hand, when things are going badly, we don't get so discouraged that roots of bitterness get deep inside us and we begin to hate good people. It is so important that we maintain on our side an innocence in relationships in which even if people are lying about us, exaggerating, misreading, reading into what we're doing, sidelining us, not allowing us to do things, that we maintain on our side the best heart to them. And David managed this, and it is a great lesson in this chapter from praise to persecution. However, the fourth lesson that we come to is that David then went through a time from faithfulness to failure. He went through a period where the misunderstanding, the difficulty, led him into deep spiritual trouble. And I have three things that I want to say under this which are so important. I pray that you will take them and learn from them from these two chapters in 1 Samuel 21 and uh, 22 because they are so important. Because David is now running. And the first thing we need to learn is, if David could backslide, I can. And it isn't, David didn't backslide because in through the door walked some beauty or because he was offered a huge promotion as long as he would work on the Lord's Day. He didn't backslide for that reason. He backslid because he had an issue with another person who called themselves a Christian. The difficulties he was having in church, if you like, led him to get out and to run away. Yes, he was being persecuted. Yes, he was being hounded. But he ran and he did backslide at this time. Because the first thing we discover him doing is lying to his pastor. He runs away, he comes to Ahimelech and he starts, the the priest is afraid because he knows there's a bit of tension. What are you doing here? And a pack of lies rolls out. How often this is the case that when we're having spiritual difficulties, especially when they're caused by our relationships within the church, we tell our pastors lies. We don't say, listen, I've got this tension here, it's giving me grief and it's led to me not walking with the Lord. I've stopped having my quiet time. I'm not reading the Bible. um, I can't pray for the person. All I do is pray about the situation. I'm not praying for things anymore, just about them. And the heart gets all wandering all over the place and before you know where you are, you're lying to your pastor about your true spiritual state and you are leaving the people of God because he leaves the people of God and tries to get involved with and tries to find refuge among the enemies of God's people. And the second point there, up there, is that if backsliding is not impossible, you can thank God it's not irreversible. Because, because of the way God worked it, 
Here's David. He's gone to the enemies of God's people. He stood in front of it and suddenly realises he's not safe in the world. And so he begins to act like a madman when they bring him before the, uh, the king of God's uh, enemies. He acts like a madman. And he's putting on an act to get out of a bad situation. And so they let him out and they, they say, oh, clear off. He doesn't return to the Lord because of conscience. He doesn't return to the Lord because he suddenly realises he's made a mistake. He's got into the world, got himself into trouble, and God has made it so that he can do nothing else than run away and find at least some refuge away from God's enemies, even if he can't get back among God's people fully. And the people of God then gathered to him, and an amazing time of prayer, and uh, which I'll mention in a moment, comes into his life. But it doesn't begin because he's sorry for his actions. It begins because God messes in his situation and makes it more difficult to be in the world than he thought. He wasn't safe there. And God moved his situation and so he fled back and found a way back among the people of God. There is something though, a third thing here, under, from faithfulness to failure. We need to remember from this passage in chapters 21 and 22, that backsliding is not inconsequential. It cost people their lives. Tell me, what do you think the people of God who so admired David thought when they saw him running away? They so admired him. David has slain his tens of thousands. David, where's he gone? Oh, he's, he's backslidden. He's gone. It cost a family their life who were slaughtered. He lied to them. And therefore they were ill prepared for what was coming. And we see there are huge problems. Now, lessons. Let's take the lesson. Times of confusion in our lives are very dangerous times because they can lead us into periods of alienation from our local church from our local Christian friends and drive us into the hands of the world. And if we learn lessons from David, learn this, he did not come back because he was sorry. He was driven back by the difficulties of living in the world as a worldling. Now, let's then move on quickly. 1 Samuel 23 then comes from backsliding to battling. And it's here in 1 Samuel 23, that we say, we hear, they told David, saying, the Philistines fight against Keilah. By this time, he's got a rabble army, a bit like a beach team. Because everyone who's distressed, everyone who's dismayed, and everyone who's in debt has come on the team. <laughs> and he's the leader. You know, there's not much difference between 3,000 years ago and St. Ives this year. But there he is on his team and he's got these 400. It looks a great team but they are distressed, they are in debt, they are discouraged and it's not that they like David, it's they've nowhere else to go. And he's there and he hears that their Philistines are attacking 
And notice it says, David inquired of the Lord. And it's amazing that during this period when he's isolated and misunderstood and he's finding things tough in so many ways, he's backslidden, he's come back and it's now that his most productive period of writing his prayers down occurs. You look in the Bible at the headings of the Psalms. You look at Psalm 34, 53, 54, 57, 63, 59, and so they go on, and you'll see that this period of time was a time when misunderstanding around him, yet battles to fight for the Lord, he poured out his soul to God. He learned to pray in a new way, with fresh intensity, Oh, lead me to that rock that's higher than me. He was in the cave of Adullam, nicely protected, but he wanted a different place. You, O oh Lord, are my refuge, he says. And the Psalms again and again in those Psalms talk about when he was in the cave, when he saw Doeg, when he escaped from Saul, when he was in the wilderness. He was a praying man. He learned to pray in his difficulties. Don't let the difficulties of your Christian life keep you from prayer. Let them draw you to Christ. Learn to pray afresh there. And there was renewed fellowship at that time as well because in 1 Samuel 23 we find that he and Jonathan are restored together and able to encourage each other in the Lord. And how important it is, if we've had a tough time because of misunderstanding, get back before the Lord in our prayers, get back into fellowship with the very people who most encourage us. I've talked to a few people this weekend. And how blessed, we've said, how blessed it is that in the providence of God, in our Christian lives, he brought us into this fellowship. Some of the best Christian folk have walked with the Lord, pressed on with God, their principles of holiness, their love for the Lord, the scriptures, his day for each other, They put up with me for 30 some odd years. Boy, they must be the best people in England. Oh, sorry, in the UK. (laughs) But the point is, God in his providence has given us people who encourage us in the Lord, who take us on and take us forward, who don't just allow our excuses to be accepted, but just provoke us in the best way, edify us and push us forward. Well, from backsliding to battling. He's into the battle again. He's leading that disparate, desperate army uh, forward. And they have great victories. But there was renewed prayer. There was renewed fellowship. But then we discover, yet again, we find that just a little while after that, David says in his heart, chapter 27, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And off he goes and he enters a second period of desperate backsliding. Because what he does say, he's saying to God's people all this time, I'm on your side. And yet he lives in such a way and his friendships are formed in such a way that he's saying to God's enemies at the same time, no, I'm on your side. Now, can I just pause for a moment and say, students, don't live like this in university. Don't live in such a way that 
When you're in the CU meetings, everybody's saying, it's as if you're saying, I'm on your side. And the CU meeting ends, down the pub everyone goes, and you go down there with them, and you're saying effectively effectively to the world, I'm on your side. Because that's how David was living. He was battling, he was pretending to battle for God's enemies. Kidding them, convincingly. So much so that when the last battle was being formed, David was there and David was going to go in with the king himself and the king said, now I'll have him for my son forever. If we go out and the king thought, the king was totally overwhelmingly convinced that David was on his side in 1 Samuel 27. Oh, how vital it is as we pause with this lesson and say, friends, don't let fear drive you into the arms of the world and never, never live so that the Christians think you're on their side and the unbelievers think that you are on their side. You live like they do, you you go where they go, you speak as they speak, you watch what they watch, and there's no difference except when you meet with Christians, you seem to be thoroughly different. Friends, it's not the way. The great word in past days in terms of our lives was separation. The great word, that now is seen almost as a sinful word. It's integration now, as if we have to say to the unbelievers, I'm no difference from you except I love Jesus. We ought to say, if that's just about it, something's radically wrong with our view of how we should live for the Lord who died for us. So, let's go and move to our last point. The last point is from enmity to eulogy, 2 Samuel chapter 1. And here we see what's been in David's heart all this time. We would have read about when David could have killed him. He didn't kill Saul. In fact, he was convicted so greatly of guilt that he even cut a little piece from his uh, robe and he held it and he felt guilty that he'd even gone that far to cut a piece of clothing. He wouldn't speak against him. He would run away from him. He was confused by Saul, but he wouldn't speak against him because this man he recognised was God's man until God took him out of the way. It wasn't for him to take him out of the way. And then the battle occurs, as you know. Saul and Jonathan are both killed. And if you read the eulogy, you will realise where David's heart was all the time. You'll find he didn't reward those who praised him. People came up to him and said, Hey, Saul's dead. He said, How do you know? I was there. And he describes the death of Saul. And David, instead of saying, thanks for telling me, that's great, that's him out of the way, now we can get on. David is overwhelmed with grief. And he doesn't say, oh, you're going to be a general in the army. They're executed. He's executed because he dared, laid his hand against the Lord's anointed. Something David, when he was being pursued to the death, could have done and we would have all thought, well, it was fair. He wouldn't reward those who attack the people of God, even the backslidden people of God. Don't we have a little lesson here? How do we talk about each other? 
How do we describe each other? When people are having a difficult time in the Christian life, let, let me ask you, are you their defender? When someone hates you and, then, and is telling lies about you and one of your friends comes along and says to you, oh, well, I know a thing or two about them. Are you glad to hear that piece of news? Or do you defend even those who hate you? Because David did. And it was a mark of his immense spiritual stature that he lived like that. He didn't reward those who praised him. And he didn't rejoice over and reject those who persecuted him. This eulogy is a pattern for why eulogies are a good thing at funerals, by the way. David writes a song, he laments, and notice he says, the beauty of Israel is slain. Tell me, who's he speaking about? The man who longed to kill him. The beauty of Israel is slain. How are the mighty fallen? Don't let the Philistines know about it. You hear, there's a pastor, he's fallen into sin. He's committed adultery. Don't let the world know about it. Keep it quiet. Hide it away. Don't let the godless rejoice over the problems that occur in the church. Someone hate you and they take a tumble spiritually. Are you feeling glad inside? David wasn't. He was grieved at heart over this. He didn't rejoice. And then he begins to praise him. He says, you ladies, you women, let me tell you. He's brought you clothing. He's brought you riches. He's brought... And he describes, he describes all the benefits they got, even from this backslidden sword, if you like. They still benefited from his rule over them. And David sings his praises and speaks well of him. As we close, let's come back to the beginning where we were thinking about how do we respond when, when people are just against us. One of the most poisonous things that can happen in our hearts, in our spiritual walk, is for a root of bitterness to dig its way into our hearts. Someone said something, and a little bit of malice sits in you, and you remember it. It's poison. It defiles. It becomes a word that you pass on. David lives above it. All of these things were true. He, Saul's treatment of him was not the cause of his backsliding, but it did contribute in the confusion of his life. You will face confusing times, you will face misunderstandings and grave difficulties. They're not the cause of your backsliding. The cause is inside us. But they may contribute and drive us something that we ought to be resisting. And both times David came back, he came back, because of what God did outside of him, and it was his heart that slowly caught up afterwards. It wasn't deep sorrow at this time. It is later, we'll see that. But the point is that this time it isn't deep regret that brings him back from his backsliding. It's how God deals with him in backsliding. It's God's chastening that pulls him out and then his heart catches up. How often some of us even still, have to say it's only God's dealings that have recovered us from the mess we got into because we allowed what others did, what others said, to poison our thinking. Friends, David 
was brought from a nobody to a somebody because of his spiritual life. May it be true that we all will build our Christian service on what's going on inside us. May we grow in that. Thank you.